Hello, and welcome to Unknowable, the podcast where we talk about all things mysterious, unusual, or unknowable. I'm Justine. And I'm Gray. Some weeks we break down one larger mystery between the two of us. Other weeks we pick two smaller mysteries on a theme and we teach each other about them based on our own independent research. This week's theme is Men in Black. Here comes the Men in Black. (laughs) Wow, that had to happen. I didn't know that was going to happen. Nope. But I shouldn't be surprised. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the term for men in black is kind of generic and it generally refers to an individual who is often seen linked with like UFO sightings and cryptid sightings, um, just areas of high strange activity. Um, they are usually described as vigorously seeking information uh, about the sightings or most often potentially threatening those involved in the sightings to keep them quiet. Um, It's implied that they may not even be human. They may be aliens themselves, or that they are members of some unknown organizations or even branches of government designed to protect secrets. Right. So they kind of look human in that they're wearing, like, black suits or other sort of, like, human-like clothing, but various people describe them in various bizarre ways that are decidedly not human. Mm -hmm. So I just have a, like, kind of, so sometimes they're described as having, like, plastic, transparent skin that's, like, super shiny. You can, like, see their veins underneath their skin way too well. Um, They have big, oversized eyes that are being covered, kind of covered, with, like, big black glasses that wrap around their head. Um... They seem to generally be unaware of human customs and interactions. Like, Mm. they don't know how to shake hands. They don't know how to use cutlery properly. Um, They don't seem to eat, drink, or breathe the way that you would expect people to. Either they don't do those things or they do them weird or in a labored way that they don't seem like it's natural or that it's something that they do by default. (laughs) Yep. Um, sometimes they seem surprised that the people that they're talking to can even see them, which is super bizarre. Very, very weird. Like what the fuck? What the hell? Um, they sometimes even like will shapeshift into various things. Like they will enter a room and then a, a black dog with red eyes will walk out. Which hmm. has been described, I saw in at least two different, two, two different times. Which, you know, two times it seems like more than just one person's, like, strange interaction with someone. Right. Um, they almost never blink. They don't chew when they eat food. They just, like, somebody described them, like, cutting off a piece of steak and just swallowing it. Awesome. No chewing. Wow. So, like, my dog. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, like, all of those things put together, um, the... UFO researcher and Mothman researcher, John Keel, yep. described the men in black as, quote, demonic supernaturals. So wrapped up in that term is the fact that they are sort of outside of the human experience. They're supernatural. Um, but there's also this sort of like menacing quality about them. Mm-hmm. When you describe just sort of like the disparate descriptions of them, 
it sounds almost like comical or farcical, like a lot of the stories and you'd like listen to it and you're like, okay, like why does anybody take these people seriously? But everybody describes them as being just like super unsettling or creepy or menacing or getting just like a really bad vibe from them. Right. They're terrifying. Terrifying. Even in ways that people can't fully explain. Right. Like so many different encounters, people explain like just feeling awful when they see them. It's like a sixth sense. Yeah. Despite the fact that a lot of people describe them as being like you said, like emotionless or just kind of blank, which it's not like they're acting angry. They're not freaking out. They're not like throwing a fit or whatever. They're just... They're like robotic. Yeah. And yet when people look at them, they just get this like overwhelming sense of dread. Yeah. Which is kind of freaky. Super freaky. So it's almost like they look human from a distance. Right. It's like they're trying their hardest to look human. Yeah. And the jury is totally out on what they are. Are they aliens? Are they beings from another dimension? Mm-hmm. Are they humans that have like either traveled in the future or who have gone undergone some sort of like weird like gene therapy or yep. there's there's so many different theories about like why they are so non human. Yeah. And we're gonna hear your theory at the end of this episode. At the end. Stay tuned. Which Gray's always the one who has a theory. I never have theories. I'm always like connecting. It's I think it's because I'm like super into conspiracy theories. Yeah. So I'm always trying to find like what's the answer? Like what is like like the thread that connects all of these like random bits of information? I always wish I could come up with a theory. I always want to. And it's just like I mean part of what I love about these types of topics is that there's so many options. Right. I feel like I just get wrapped up in all of them and I'm just like, well, Maybe they're human. Like, no, but maybe they are aliens. Like, no, maybe they're just, like, weird demons. No, maybe they're robots and I just can't settle. <laughs> but you're always just like, no, this is what I think. It's pretty impressive. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. So, with all that said, probably the most popular thing in popular culture that you might know of involving Men in Black is the movie Men in Black. Yes. From 1997? Sure. Something like that. Yeah. We fucking loved this movie. Yes, we did. When we were kids. Oh, my God. Maybe some type of weird foreboding mm-hmm. yeah, into, right. like, what we would get into later. But loved that movie. Still love Will Smith. Yep. Oh, yeah. Fucking great movie. I can't really say much about the sequels. I don't know if I've seen them. Maybe I Maybe. did, like, once. But we watched Men in Black a million times. Yeah. The original. The original. So that movie, of course, is more of, like, a funny, comical view of the Men in Black. But it gives you a gist of kind of what they are and what they do, where their goal seems to be to cover up there being alien activity and UFO activity in the world. Right. Which would imply, like, kind of as the movie implies, that this is sort of like a widespread thing that some type of government agency is well aware of. Right. Um, but they're just making sure it stays undercover. Which is kind of like a general sort of undercurrent of almost all, like, UFO stories and just, like, UFO culture in general is that, like, the government knows more than it's letting on. Yeah. And that there is probably some shadow branch of the government that, like, is aware and interacts with UFOs and aliens and, like, cleans them up and everything. So yeah. it's just sort of, like, a very, like, like foundational part of the UFO, UFO mythology yeah. in, like, the world. It's not even just yeah. localized to the United States. So if there is some shadowy organization, it's not just, like, from the U.S. government. The U.S. government may participate, but it's global. Yeah. Just like in the X-Files. Or Galactic. Oh, shit. (laughs) Everything comes back to the X-Files. Yeah. But, yeah, so, essentially, Men in Black itself came from this real lore about these Men in Black, um, which started in 1947. Right. Uh, There's a man named Harold Dahl 
who, this is a whole thing that, actually we will probably do at least a partial episode on this particular UFO sighting. Right. Um, but it's the Maury Island UFO sighting. Um, Harold Dahl was with his son. I won't really go into the details of the sighting because again, we'll talk about it at some point. Um, it's sort of a lesser known Washington state UFO sighting, but actually should have been a little more known. Um, partly because it was potentially one of the first or the first UFO sighting where there was a connection to a man in black. Right. Um, if you remember our episode that talked about Kenneth Arnold sighting also in the forties, also in Washington state, um, Harold Dahl's encounter was actually a few days before that. So it just wasn't as widely reported as Kenneth Arnold's. Um, Hmm. So yeah, he not only was approached by a man in black after the sighting, but there was some other suspicious activity, like two military intelligence officers that were investigating the sighting died in a tragic air crash hmm. before they were able to finish their investigation, which... That's convenient. Yeah, you can't tell me that was just fucking... Come on. Right. That was something. That was something. Um, but yeah, his part of his Man in Black sighting is he ended up at a local diner with this strange Man in Black who recounted many details of the sighting to him, details that weren't known to everybody at the time, um, and commented that, quote, what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. Ooh. Yeah. Freaky. <laughs> yeah, so implying that he kind of knew about it before Harold Dahl told him about it. Right. Which just raises a lot of questions. What strikes me about that whole interaction, too, is that, like, he ended up at a diner with him. Right. So there's this weird, like, combination in a lot of these sightings of, like, people being super, like, menaced by the men in black, but also opening their door for them or going to, like, eat with them or offering them food or, like, having, like, relatively, like, intimate contact with these people that are, like, really creepy, menacing strangers. Yeah. And yet they still, like... So people theorize that maybe there's some sort of like mind control going on mm-hmm. or some sort of like influencing of other people's like actions. Well, some of the men in black, black are said to have some ability to speak telepathically. Oh yeah. Right. And some people even describe like one of the sightings that we'll talk about later sort of describe this feeling of like, I was doing this and going along with it and talking to this person. Like, even though my mind was racing with like, who is this? What am I doing? Right. Why are they here? How did they find me? Like, right. They're questioning it in their mind, but they can't, like, stop themselves from going along with it, which is freaky. Super freaky. Like, they just, yeah, they just can't stop. They're just like, okay. Um, One of the, like, weird stories that I read that I didn't really get too much detail about, but it was a person recounting that they remember, they had, like, many childhood memories of their father, who was an engineer, um, having regular contact with, I forget what he called the guy. The guy had a name, but, like, her father would regularly visit and, like, have visits from this guy that she specifically remembered, like, having no hair, hmm. being very strange-looking. Right. Um, like, very, very pale white skin. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, her father would, like, go over and visit this guy. And apparently this guy visited, like, several other engineers. And I should have looked into it more just to see, like, what kind of things were they working on. Right. These engineers. Like, that seems like it could potentially be a section of workers that perhaps men in black would have interest in, depending on what they were working on. Right. Um, but it was just kind of, like, again, one of those things where it's, like... You know, it's not like the dad was being harassed by this person. Like, he was choosing to go to this man's house and spend time with him and talk to him. But it was just, like, this very... She just remembers these memories being very odd. Like, she always felt weird about this guy. Hmm. And that's kind of the general theory, or the general theme going throughout all these stories, is that there's just, like, a... 
you can't quite put your finger on it, but something seems off yeah. about either the person or the interaction that they're having. Right. Super weird. Super weird. So Harold Dahl was the first. Um, similar to Harold Dahl kind of being this previous UFO sighting, but kind of losing it to Kenneth Arnold, Harold Dahl's Man in Black encounter was also kind of lost to um, a ufologist named Albert K. Bender, who in the mid-1950s, claimed that men in dark suits visited him and warned him to stop his research. Hmm. Again, this was just more publicized and talked about right. um, than Harold Dahl's sighting. So, poor dude. Right. Like, first UFO sighting, first man in black sighting, but he loses it to two different other dudes. Yeah. Um, but Albert K. Bender was one of the most influential ufologists of the 50s and the 60s. Um, he founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau in 1952. That's wild. The world's first major civilian UFO club. Um, it was a success at first, but he shut it down very suddenly in 1953 because of these man in black <laughs> encounters. Um, oh, and he was also born on my birthday. Oh, wow. So, fun little fact. Obviously not the same year. <laughs> Just <laughs> saying. Wow. June 16th. Um, he claimed that in March 1953, he was approached by three men in black. They communicated with him telepathically and gave him a metal disc with instructions. It did not go into what the instructions were. What the fuck? Um... But he then felt like he was being transported. They apparently shared the insights and origins of UFOs with him, um, but warned him to not pass that info along to anybody. So apparently he just has this info. Um, he got really sick after this encounter. He didn't eat for days. He had frequent headaches. His coworkers reported that he seemed really scared, paranoid. Um, all of his work became like really rambling and kind of incoherent after that. Hmm. Um, yeah, his encounter was recorded in his associate at the International Flying Saucer Bureau, Gray Barker, who is another ufologist, another author. Um, he published a book called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Um, and yeah, kind of recounted Bender's tale, but Bender himself didn't talk about the experience until almost 10 years later in 1962 when he wrote his own book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Both of these books are on my Amazon wishlist now. Nice. Um... And he supposedly continued receiving strained phone calls until his death, um, oh. which was in like the 2000s sometime, like oh, wow. two, 20, God, like 2012 or something. Wow. Um, but yeah, there was speculation, of course, that it was only a dream. Um, but yeah, he basically like after that point, you know, did some research here and there. But like I said, it was all indecipherable. Hmm. He went on to manage a motel in California. Weird. So the whole weird part about that too is the the like the follow up phone calls for the rest of his life. That seems to be another like theme is that like there's sort yeah. of like whatever encounter you have with the UFO, then you have your encounter with the Men in Black, like the sort of like main encounter. Yeah. And then the rest of your life following that, you kind of have not like big major encounters, but just little things like somebody will call you mm-hmm. and then hang up. And you'll get, like, a bunch of, like, hang-up phone calls or you'll just, like, kind of, like, see things out of the corner of your eye. Like, maybe, like, a sketchy man in black, like, getting into a car that seemed like he was just looking at you. And yeah. These little, like, micro encounters with men in black for the rest of your life, almost like they're keeping tabs on you. Exactly. It's freaky. Like, this whole situation kind of ushered in this whole era of these sightings. Um, like, it's kind of weird that, like, before Gray Barker published his retelling of Bender's story in his book. It's like weird to think of this time frame, really like in the fifties. Um, but really the only people that knew about the men in black were like these, this narrow group of subscribers to like these flying saucer newsletters. So nobody else really knew about it until this book came out. And then Bender wrote his own book, um, 
which was funny, Barker, when he wrote his book, kind of described them as sort of like these threatening, like, FBI agent type of guys. Right. Which, like we said, like, sometimes people talk about them just being humans that are just kind of odd. Um, but Bender's description in his own book was much more frightening. A quote, uh, they floated about a foot off the floor. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to Homburg style. Which, by the way, Homburg style hats are like, it's kind of these black semi-formal hats with like a dent down the middle. Um, made okay. popular in The Godfather. Al Pacino wore like a gray version. Oh, yeah. So if you kind of picture, yeah, him in that movie with a hat on. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the faces were not cleared, clearly discernible, for the hats partly hid and shaded them. The eyes of all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. They seemed to burn into my very soul as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable. So, not quite. That's uh, Barker's description of just, like, these menacing FBI dudes that are like, hey, yeah. don't talk about this shit. Like, he's, his description was more... Clearly supernatural. Yeah. That's so, intense. Yeah. Kind of freaky. It's so, almost like if this is like one of the first Men in Black encounters, it's almost like they were kind of trying to figure out how to be human. <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. How do yeah. we do this? Like, and they were like, oh, wait. Shit. Like, we, can't, we can't float. Yeah. No floating. No like The hat was cool, though. Yeah. The hat was dope. <laughs> <laughs> like, what year did The Godfather come out? They probably didn't even know it was cool at the time. I think like the 70s. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, it said it was, like, repopularized yeah. when Al Pacino were in that movie, so. A lot of, like, the, the follow-up, like, as you go through the encounters through the years, too, like, up until modern day, like, a lot of people describe the clothes that men in black wear as, like, like outdated mm-hmm. or, like, almost, like, um, I've heard it described as, like, Eisenhower era, which is, yep. like, the 50s. Mm-hmm. So maybe they, like, whatever group of people the men in black are, they sort of, like, picked their style back then when they first, like became whatever it is that they are and yeah. they just have stuck with that throughout time they've gotten better at mimicking being a human but yeah they're still just keeping those same outdated suits yeah they kind of look just like bad mobsters usually yeah. when right. you see them like, like movie mobsters yeah movie mobsters mm-hmm. like slash yeah fbi agents but yeah not like what a real fbi agent would look like right. like yeah like a movie movie fbi agent mashed up with like a mobster right and like a movie that doesn't have a high budget <laughs> yeah like a b movie yeah and like poorly fitting clothing yes. Right. That was all bought at Goodwill. Yeah. So totally fits in. Yeah. It makes sense. So that's kind of like the, the foundation mm-hmm. of the, the sightings. Um, and then throughout the years, it's just kind of been these sort of like blips on the radar where a men in black encounter happens. And some of them are kind of just more generic, like, oh, like they came and told me to stop my UFO research or I was contacted and they asked me these questions after I saw a UFO. But some of them have very like strange like interactions that are worth noting because they're just more interesting Mm. like in the 1960s there was this guy peter beckman who was a voiceover actor Mm. what wasn't clear was why they were interacting with him like i i couldn't find anything about him actually having a ufo sighting or something interesting but um so 1960s so i gotta i gotta preface the story with the fact that he was supposedly on mescaline okay so he was in his apartment with a friend on mescaline, which is a very hallucinogenic drug. Yeah. So not take, not the salad mix. Take what he's saying. Yes, right. <laughs> take what he's saying with a grain of salt. Okay. But he was very convinced that this really happened. So he's with his friend on mescaline, listening to the soundtrack of Rosemary's Baby. Wow. In that his is apartment. Not a good his, place like, to be. Dark apartment. Yeah. Jesus. So that's like already like what's going on, man. Whoa. Um. So a Men in Black, Man in Black showed up. It was actually two men in black. Mm-hmm. Um, 
knocked on the door, he opened the door for them, and it's sort of that classic idea of, like, he let them in and yeah. wasn't quite sure why he let them in. Like, every part of his being was like, these, there's something wrong here, I shouldn't be doing this, but he still opened the door, let them in. Um, and he described their clothes as fitting, like, real loose, so, like, baggy, outsized, um, Eisenhower black suits. Um, they looked very pale and sickly, mm. and... Um, his quote about this was that, um, they looked like they might expire any minute. Whoa. And that they had trouble breathing or they had trouble being. What? Like they had trouble existing on this plane. Yikes. Was what he like felt like they were. And so like they just asked him questions or whatever and, and left and like nothing sinister happened, but like they were like, like very labored breathing. It almost seemed like they weren't naturally human. Or Weird. they had to really struggle to, like, keep their form of being a human. Wow. The whole trouble breathing thing also shows up in kind of a lot of these yeah. um, these meetings where the, the men in black themselves seem like they're, like, really, like, just struggling to be alive. Right. Which is very which strange. Is so weird. Even if they are alien beings, you just think that, like, at some point they'd figure it out. Right. Or they'd have some kind of, like, technological answer to, like... Right. Or they just, why do they have to interact with us at all? Yeah. Why can't they just, like, read our minds or, exactly. like, observe us from the fourth dimension or something? I yeah. don't know. If they can do the telepathic thing. Right. It just seems odd, but and I wonder why they questioned him. Like, I wonder if there was some type of sighting, like, nearby. Right. They thought maybe he had seen something or heard something or whatever. Right. But, yeah, definitely one of the few that didn't have an actual sighting attached. Right. Which is weird. It, it was more about his interpretation of them, mm. which, which match, matches up. Yeah. It matches up. He was on mescaline. <laughs> yeah. But so who knows what, what was I going on in there? I feel like he was telling the truth. Yeah. I believe it. Right. I believe it. It matches up with a lot of what people talked about. So yeah. it's not like it's outside of the realm of like what people normally describe. Right. So that's bizarre. Right. That's a good one. So I that was that in one. the 1960s. That was the 1960s. Yeah. So not long after that, uh, a man named Jim Templeton. So you may have seen this photograph. It's a super sweet photograph. Yeah. If you haven't, it's going to be in the show notes. Yes. Um, so Jim Templeton was a fireman, photographer, and a local historian. He lived in England. Um, him and his wife and his daughter took a little trip to uh, Berg Marsh in Cumbria, England. And he, his daughter had like a new dress. They were kind of, yeah, like in this marshy area. He said there were only a few other people there while they were taking photos and, like, nobody really near them. Um, he takes a photo of his daughter kind of sitting, you know, in this new dress. And it wasn't until he got the photo developed later that there's, like, a very clear, like, dude that looks like a spaceman standing behind the daughter. Yeah. It's, like, a very striking photo because it's very clear. Like, yeah. it, al it almost looks like... Um like a 1950s sci-fi version yep. of an astronaut or like a robot. Exactly. Like white spacesuit with like a helmet and like a dark kind of visor over it. Freaky looking. Like, right. yeah, it's, it's not in the far, far distance. Like no. it looks as though the spaceman is maybe, you know, 15 feet behind right. her or so. And it's like, it's like looking around her, looking yeah. at the photographer. Looking at the photographer. It's freaky. Yeah. Like it's facing the camera. It's definitely partially obscured. I think you can only see it from maybe like the waist up or so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a bizarre photograph and clearly like if, even if there had just been a person, it's theorized that it was actually his wife 
turned around and like, you know, the way the light was hitting it, like it made it overexposed, which made it look all white like that, <laughs> um, which I still don't buy because the dude was a photographer. Right. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he was a professional or whatever, but still like the idea that he was trying to take a nice photo of his daughter. Right. Like I'm a photographer and even taking a casual photo, like I would make sure if that was his wife, just like wandering behind the daughter. Right. He clearly could see her like she was mm -hmm. close. Oh, yeah. So like I feel like he would have asked her to move or he would have changed his angle or something. He wouldn't have taken the photo. Right. With the wife just like half obscuring it. And once he got that photo back and was like really looking at it, he'd be like, what the fuck is that? And yeah. then he'd like really think about it and be like, oh, I guess, yeah, that's like, looks like her dress or some, yeah. some part of it would like make him seem like, oh yeah, that's just like a, like a weird exposure. Yeah. You'd make a connection. The only like debunking thing I've ever thought that made vague sense for that. He looks like a beekeeper. Yeah. A little bit. Like a, like almost like a beekeeper's outfit, but yep. he obviously, but he said that there was no beekeepers. There was nobody like around. Right. Why would there just be some random dude in a beekeeping suit yeah. hanging out with this like family? Exactly. Doesn't and again, like sense. if whatever the character was, like if we were talking like, oh, here's a photo of his daughter and like way, way in the distance, there's like this tiny little spaceman. Right. Then sure. Like he didn't notice it. But like, again, this, if you look at the photo, it's so close and so obvious. There's no way he could have missed no. that happening. Um, so yeah, Kodak even verified the authenticity. They offered a reward for anybody who could debunk it and nobody could. Um, but not long after the story went public, Templeton was visited by two quote government agents <laughs> who he says he didn't like see any particular branch of government that they were in, but they only referred to themselves as number nine and number 10. Weird. Came and visited him. They demanded to go see the site of the photo, which again, he got in the car with these dudes. Right. I don't know if he drove them or they drove him. I'm assuming they probably drove him, but he just like got into a car. Right. With number nine and number 10, <laughs> J and K. J and K, exactly. And just like, dude, took him or took them to the site. Um, they questioned him asking things like, what was the weather like on the day? And how were the local animals behaving? Hmm. Which I guess he remembered that the animals were acting scared that day, which is interesting. That's weird. Um, yeah, he told them that he didn't actually see the figure personally because he didn't when he was taking the photo. And hmm. I guess they got really angry and they stormed off and he never saw them again. Hmm. Um, he was later contacted by two employees at a missile launch pad in Australia, claiming that they saw two figures who resembled the spaceman on launch pad security footage. It turns out the missiles at that site in Australia had been produced only 20 miles from where the photo was taken. Ooh. Fucking weird. That's freaky. Yeah. I did not know that part of the story until I looked it up. Wow. Yeah. So there's something about those missiles that whatever the fuck that was was interested. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So kind of freaky that like... I think that kind of brought around to me also like that it wasn't his wife in the photo. Like okay. if these people at this missile launch pad in Australia, like right. got wind of the story and were like, Oh, we saw two fucking beekeeper, like whatever. Yeah, astronaut dudes. Missile launch. Yeah. Hanging out on our security footage. Like it probably was something. Right. Which is so fucking weird. So yeah. Hmm. Super cool. Yeah. But those men in black. That's an pissed. interesting story with the men in black tacked on there. Yeah. And that's kind of what you see is that the men in black just kind of follow around interesting paranormal yeah. events. Like that wasn't, you know, that wasn't your standard UFO sighting. That wasn't a standard like cryptid sighting. Right. That was kind of its own thing. Like we don't know what that character was. Right. And they show up mostly with like UFOs and stuff. But like you said, there are like some cryptid sightings that are have follow-ups from the men in black, which kind of implies that the men in black aren't just either. They're not just in it for UFOs or cryptids have some connection to UFOs that we don't quite understand yet, mm. which 
which perfect example is yes. the Mothman. The Mothman. Which we talked about in episode one. Yep. This is actually perfect because we didn't really touch on Men in Black right. in that episode. We brought it up, but we didn't Literally. go into detail really. Right, because we knew we were going to do this episode later. Yeah. So the Moth- the Mothman sort of like flap has a whole bunch of complex sightings. There's cryptid sightings of the Mothman. There's UFOs. Um, but sort of the other big aspect of the Mothman sighting was the Men in Black follow-up hmm. because there was a ton. There was like a bunch of people who had interactions with Men in Black after this. Um, and this is kind of what kicked John Keel off on studying the Men in Black and sort of categorizing them and ultimately calling them demonic supernaturals was his interactions with them during the Mothman sightings. Um, he was he was essentially unaware of them until somebody brought them up like, hey, these weird guys have been coming to like talk to us about the Mothman. And he's like, wait, what? Like he hadn't heard anything about it. Mm. So it kind of just shows that it's not like, you know, this person, John Keel, who's involved in the paranormal community. He's not like making these things up. He had no idea. Yeah. And they kind of told him and he's like, oh, shit, I should probably like look into this. So one of like the creepier encounters that I read about was um, a woman named Connie Carpenter who witnessed the Mothman at some point. So she was walking to school. This is uh, February 22nd, 1967. Okay. okay. So a few months after the first, first sightings. Right. Yeah. Um, so she's walking to school when a black 1949 Buick pulled up alongside her. So men in black always drive black cars. Mm-hmm. They're usually described as Fords. So it's yeah. interesting that it's a Buick. It's a Buick. Maybe, I don't know, they couldn't rent a Ford that day or something. Yeah. Who knows? Damn it, this is way off brand. <laughs> way off brand. <laughs> as long as we can still get black. So this Buick pulls up. The driver opens his doors and asks her for directions. He seemed to be a clean-cut young man of about 25 or so with thick, neatly combed black hair and a deep suntan. So whether or not the men in black are almost always described as either with like super pale, sickly, transparent skin mm-hmm. or like an olive complexion. They're described as being like Eastern European or, um, yeah, like, like a darker complexion. Um, so Connie got closer to the vehicle and the stranger suddenly ordered her to get in and grabbed her by the arm, trying to pull her into the car. She managed to get away and the sleeve of her blouse ripped in the process. She ran back to her house, her house and locked herself in. The next day, a threatening note was slipped under her door. No. The door or the note read, "Be careful, girl. I can get you yet." Oh. That's it. No. Isn't that super freaky? I don't like that. Like the 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 non-specificity of it is what creeps me out. Yeah. Like be careful, girl. I can get you yet. Which again, like maybe just hanging out watching her after that. Right. Like why is he trying to get her? And why does, like, I can get you yet, not, like, we, or, like... Yeah. That doesn't seem like the actions of, like, a like a government worker, or, like, anybody who works, right. like, in, like, a group of people. Yeah. It seems like some weird, sketchy, outlier thing. Yeah. Again, aliens are just like, how do we behave? Oh, we leave people creepy notes, right? That's how humans behave. Slip it under a door. Yeah, that's what people do. That's how they talk. They just leave each other really ominous notes. So... That's awful. Right. <laughs> Freaks me out, man. Freaky. Um, so in that same Mothman flap, mm-hmm. there was a woman named Mrs. Butler who this occurred during the Mothman sightings, but um, she herself saw a UFO. Okay. So she was in contact with John Keel 
Um, and she was actually talking to John Keel one time. She's one of the ones who like told him like, Hey, like we've been having these weird interactions with people who've been showing up, asking us questions about stuff. So this is what she told John Keel. So this man came to her house. His name was Major Richard French. So this man in black has a name, mm-hmm. Major Richard French. Interesting. Um, he identified himself as a representative of the military and was asking questions about flying saucers. There was something just not right about him. His skin was an odd shade of olive. His face was extremely pointed, particularly so his chin. He spoke English, and his accent was as blank as it could be. He was dressed in a suit and a tie in, like, a black suit. Of course. Like, men black, instead of a military outfit. Um, She was talking to him. She invited him into her house. They were sitting, talking about uh, flying saucers. When, all of a sudden, he said that his stomach hurt. She offered him some Jello because apparently that's supposed to help your stomach, that's, I guess. That's the thing, I guess. Like classic 1960s. Yeah. Um, but he quickly declined and then left. So the next day, comes back, sits back on her couch. They're having another conversation, finishing up their conversation. And again, he's like, oh, man, my stomach really hurts. So she offers him a bowl of Jello, And this time he says, okay, okay. So she hands him a bowl of Jello with a spoon. So he takes the spoon in his hands and he's just staring at it like he's never seen it before in his life. He's like, he's not quite sure like what to do with it or why he has it. And then he looks at the bowl of jello in his hand and he's just kind of looking at it like he's not quite sure what it is. And then he puts the bowl to his lips and tries to drink the jello like it's liquid. What? Because it looks kind of like a liquid, but he's not quite sure what's what's up with it. Oh my God. So, and she's just sitting there just staring at him like, what the fuck is is going on here? Um... She was completely silent, um, and he basically just realized that, like, he realized that she realized that something was off, and so he basically just, like, left in a panic. Oh, my God. And she never saw him again. What an awkward dude. Right. That poor guy. Poor Richard French. He's like, make a note. All of us alien men and black people right? learn how to fucking eat jello. Learn how to eat jello. Like, or, what is or this Or always stuff? say no to any yeah. human food. Yeah, just say no. The weird sort of side note about that interaction, too, is that she noticed that all of his clothes were brand new. Hmm. And he crossed his leg at one point, and she saw the soles of his shoes, and the soles of his shoes were completely unscuffed. Like, they were brand new out yeah. of the box. They are almost always described, like, as far as people describing their clothing, like, always described as, like, impeccably dressed. Right. Despite, like, sometimes it, you know, the clothes not quite fitting, but, like, it's always described that the clothes are clean, that, like, yeah, pressed. they're untouched, yeah, pressed clothing, that they, yeah, they always look nice. Again, from a distance, until you see them up close, and you're like, wait a minute, you got no eyebrows, dude. Right. But <laughs> I, can, I can see through your skin. <laughs> yeah, this is bizarre. But as far as their dressing, they always look very nice, which... They at least got one thing right. Like, they just nailed right. that suit, and they were just like, we're never straying from this. Right. People this seem to think this is normal. Yeah, this is totally standard. We look like we just popped out of the X-Files, so we're fine. Yeah. We're good. Even though the X-Files didn't happen until the 90s. Whatever. Well, maybe they can they see non-linear, non-linearly through time. Yeah. They were like, can we dress like Fox Mulder? Right. They're like, you won't understand that cultural reference for about 30 years. Yeah. But it's going to be sweet. At least they didn't dress like Fox Mulder in the episodes where he's, like, not professionally dressed. Because Fox Mulder has some interesting yeah. casual outfits where he wears, like, Timberland boots and, sweat and jeans. <laughs> he's, like, always getting ready for, like, a basketball game. <laughs> it's uh, awesome. So nice. It's okay. He's hot no matter what. Yeah. So, I have another story that also corresponds with a well-known photo of a man in black. Okay. Um, which, again, I will include. Um, this couple, Jack and Mary Robinson... 
They lived in Jersey City in the 60s. They, it seems like they didn't necessarily have any UFO sightings of their own, but they were just very interested in researching it, which, like, why can't I find a husband who wants to research UFO shit with me? Right. Um, but, yeah, they, in 1968, they arrived home one day, and it appeared as though someone had broken into their apartment and rummaged through their UFO research, hmm. which was interesting. Um, and then Mary started noticing a man in black for days in a row outside of their apartment. They kind of lived on, like, a street with, like, you know, apartment buildings all super close together. Um, so, yeah, when she'd be home alone, she would notice that this guy was just kind of standing near their apartment, kind of seemingly, like, watching who came and went. Um, so she mentioned it to the husband. He also started noticing him. They described the guy as having a, quote, unsettling look on his face and seemed emotionally detached with a nerve-jangling expression. Nerve jangling. Which again, emotionally detached and nerve jangling to me do not go together. Right, no, it's true. Like just that just doesn't match up. Hmm. But you got the photo up. Right. It's a sweet photo. See, he looks like a mob guy. He does. So he's almost he's got like a chill. top hat on. Yeah, exactly. Like they wear those weird hats. Hmm. So yeah, John, the husband started noticing him as well. Um, they both started noticing clicking noises on their phone as though they were being tapped. Yeah. They told a couple of their fellow UFO researcher friends who came one morning early and snapped that photo. Um, and it was unclear. I mean, obviously in the photo, he doesn't, he's not looking at the camera, right. but it seems like he must have noticed them wa- at least watching him. And after that point, they never saw him again. Right. So he just disappeared. It's almost like he's simultaneously like very observant, but also like very unobservant. Mm. Like, like, they've been watching... Like, when if, if you were particularly watching an apartment building yeah. and, like, particular windows in an apartment building, you would notice if they were looking back at you, I right. feel like. But then he doesn't notice, and then all of a sudden, he must have noticed them take that photo. Mm-hmm. Which, like, oh, shit. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's, like... It's almost like the proof aspect of it is what freaked him out. Yeah. Like, these people noticing him watching doesn't... It, it isn't a big deal. It's when somebody snaps a photo of him and they have, like, proof that he existed. Right. Because in some way, I mean, these people do seem like they're beyond, I don't know, like beyond punishment or beyond like being caught right. in a sense, except being photographed like that. Like they don't seem to like being photographed having, yeah, like that proof. Right. Which is interesting. <laughs> so that was a cool one, again, because they didn't, there have definitely been a few sightings of Men in Black where it's not that the person actually saw a UFO, but they just are very interested in UFOs. Right. I'm just like waiting, like, is there going to be a day? When I see a man in black. Right. You see a man in black. Like, we're a little too into the shit. Right. It worries me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Honestly. And we're, and like, we're beaming this off into the internet. Oh, shit. We're making a whole episode about them. Yep. Oh, fuck. Well, yeah. Here we go. I mean, <clears throat> if the creators of the movie Man in Black are fine. Right. I don't know. Maybe we'll be fine. But it's a thought I've had. <laughs> so, um, bringing it around to local people. Yeah. In 1976. Yeah. A man named Herbert Hopkins. Yep. Had a men in black encounter. In Maine. The great state of Maine. Yeah. I think one of the things I read was that he was living in Old Orchard Beach. Ooh. Um, so pretty close. Yeah. So um, this guy was apparently an allergist, like a well-known allergist, and he was working on causes and treatment for multiple sclerosis, but one of his other passions was hypnosis. Okay. So he was consulting on this UFO abduction case in Oxford, Maine. Um, and then one night he's chilling at home, potentially in Old Orchard Beach. I don't really know. <laughs> Somewhere in Maine. Classic Old Orchard Beach. Classic. And he got this strange phone call. This dude was like, hey, I'm the vice president of the New Jersey UFO Research Organization. I'm in town. I just thought 
you know, I've heard of your work, very interested, thought maybe I could stop by and we could chat. Um, Hopkins agrees. He goes to, the guy said that he called from a payphone. So Hopkins goes to turn on his porch light to be like, oh, just so he knows which house I am. And he says, as he goes to turn the light on, the guy is already mounting the stairs, which was weird because the closest phone booth was like blocks away. That's freaky. So it's not like there's a phone booth like on the fucking sidewalk. Put a pin in that too. So he open, he, he turns on the light and, mm-hmm. and as he's going to the door, someone's coming up the stairs. Yeah. Okay. Put a pin in that because that's going to factor in later. It's going to come up. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. So bizarre. Like literally hung up the phone, walked to the front door. Right. Boom. Um, the guy was impeccably dressed in standard men in black attire, whole black suit, white shirt, black tie. Um, and Hopkins noticed that he not only had no hair, no eyebrows or eyelashes included, but his skin was pale to the point of being almost completely white. Hmm. And his lips were such a deep red that he swore he must've been wearing lipstick, which he said was later confirmed when the man in black accidentally wiped his lip with his gloved hand, which is weird. Um, and smudge a little bit of it off, revealing that he had these colorless lips underneath. Weird. Yeah. So it's almost like he had to put on lipstick because he realized, like, wait a second. He yeah. have, like, some kind of, like, like... <laughs> some color distinction. Some color distinction yeah, in their like, face. Yeah, like, you need to have lips that have some kind of pigment to them. Weird. It yeah. almost, actually, now, I didn't think about this until just right now, but it's almost like they don't have any blood. Mm. Because, like, their skin is super pale to the point that they're white. Yeah. He has to put on lipstick for his... Because the thing that gives your lips color is the blood underneath. Mm -hmm. That's super weird. So these are, like, bloodless beings. Mm -hmm. Just hanging out in a larger beach. That's disturbing. It's way too close to home. Right. Um, Yeah. So, bizarre. They're sitting and chatting. Again, he said that, like, what he was thinking while he was sitting with this guy, like, the whole thing felt weird, Mm -hmm. obviously. Like, the phone call was weird. Who is this dude? He didn't really give a name, I don't think, but just, you know, claiming that he was part of this UFO research group. Right. The fact that he was on the stairs so quickly, like, where the hell did you come from? Right. Also, Hopkins' dog was barking erratically. Yes, that's right. the minute he walked through the door. Yep. The dog was freaking out. Always trust the dog. Trust the dog, dude. The dog knows. The dog's like, that guy's got no blood. Right. He's got no blood. He's got no soul. (laughs) Yeah, get him out of here. So, um, yeah, the thing that I liked, which, again, this is, like, part of why these stories can seem comical sometimes, because some of these quotes and stuff are... Like, they seem kind of funny, right. but also really creepy. Um, he was talking about the case, which, again, the guy, like, obviously knew a little bit about this case, but he couldn't have known everything. And some of the stuff that Hopkins was telling him was stuff that the guy couldn't have already known. Right. But the guy, the man in black, responded to everything with, yes, that's the way I understand it. Weird. So, like, he already knew about it. Right. Um, like, Hopkins specifically remembers thinking to himself, like, why is he asking me questions if he already knows the answers? Right. Which he shouldn't have known the answers. Hmm. Um, and then just kind of out of nowhere, the man in black points to Hopkins pockets and says, you have two coins in those pockets, which he did. There's no way he could have known that. Yeah, that's weird. He requested that Hopkins remove one and hold it in his palm and instructed him to watch the coin. So Hopkins did. And he said, while he watched it, his vision seemed to waver and the coin started to kind of look fuzzy and like almost like got brighter and then it disappeared. And... Hmm. The man in black informed him that, quote, no one on this plane would see that coin again. Wow. Yeah. Um, And then the man in black randomly brings up the subject of Betty and Barney Hill, which again will be its own episode. This was a famous UFO encounter in New Hampshire. Right. Asking Hopkins if he knew how Barney died. Hopkins said a heart attack, maybe. And the man responded, no, that's not entirely accurate. He died because he knew too much. Chills. Wow. Um, Then he slurred something about his, quote, energy running low. 
Like, not I'm tired, <laughs> but my energy's running Oh, low. my battery's running Like, out. oh shit, like, there's like a weird beeping noise, and he's like, fuck, battery's almost out. Weird. Yeah, and then he left, and Hopkins, like, went to the window to try to see, like, where he went, and all he saw was the driveway bathed in blue light. Okay, so let's unpack some of that. So, <laughs> so his energy was running low. Mm. So it's almost as if him making that coin disappear, yes, like drained him of his energy, and it drained took him. whatever life force he had keeping him alive or yeah. keeping him on this plane of existence. Like, he made reference that, to like the this like nobody on this plane will ever see this again. Mm-hmm. So like, is he from another dimension, another plane of existence, right. another like, like I don't even know. I can't even imagine where he's from. No can't even begin and it kind of reminds me almost of like like several of these encounters where all of a sudden the man in black is either like has labored breathing or trouble existing Mm -hmm. or all of a sudden their stomach hurts and they have to leave all of a sudden yeah like it's almost as if they have a very finite amount of time they're able to like inhabit our plane of existence yeah and it requires a tremendous amount of energy for them to do so which would make sense i mean from my limited understanding of going to a different plane of existence right would take a lot i imagine if we tried to go into like the fourth dimension mm-hmm. it would require spending a lot of energy in order to continue existing in that other dimension yeah so shit so it makes sense that they have to expend it to be in our plane of existence yeah <clears throat> that's super strange and it's crazy that that happened right here in i know State maybe yeah i like that story a lot and maybe partly because it's in maine right freaks me out i mean i know there's a lot of ufo sightings in maine which again It'll be a future episode. Yes. We've said it like 10 times. Right. I, but researching this particular topic, there were a lot of like little mini topics, like the one I'm about to talk about, that will be their own episode or at least their own partial episode. Right. Because they're just so freaking cool. Right. Um, so this next story takes us to 1987. Nice. We're in Withville, Virginia. Um, so again, this will be a future episode. There's a lot more info about this case, but I'm going to give you a brief rundown. Um, so the news director at the time, Danny Gordon, okay. went to the local uh, police station, as he did often, just to see, like, what's some local stuff that I can report. Um, he actually ends up getting a fun story about three of the county deputies, all former military men, hmm. which comes up a lot in these UFO sightings because they're, you know, they tend to be very logical, reasonable, trustworthy people, not only being former military, but now police, right. um, had seen... A UFO, like the night before. So Danny Gordon's kind of like, okay, cool. But he planned on reporting on it as like a fun, like, haha, isn't this funny? Right. They saw a UFO, like whatever. Um, to his surprise, the news station got flooded with calls of similar UFO sightings in the area. He did not see this coming. He's just like, what? All these people were like, oh yeah, I saw the same shit. Um, so like enough that he had to set up like a separate line for people to call in just with UFO sightings. Wow. Which is crazy. Um, then he gets intrigued and he's like, I should go check this out. Um, and so he has several sightings of his own, one of which him and his buddy went out looking like in the area where a lot of those sightings had come from. And they saw some strange things. They tried to get some photos, but they just kind of looked like these just weird, tiny blurs of light, like not at all what they looked like in in person. Like they reported seeing like a big craft, like typical kind of UFO. Hmm. Um, but the photos didn't really come out. And another one of the sightings was actually like at a big shopping center, like an outdoor shopping area. Yeah. And like something like 200 people saw these two UFOs. Um, and I think Danny Gordon himself got 
four photos of them, which are actually pretty sweet photos, um, which again, I will include in the notes. Um, so yeah, he has his own sightings and he starts to receive these strange anonymous phone calls, one of which telling him not to continue his investigation. Hmm. He, at one point, his house is broken into, nothing was missing, but it had obviously been searched. He supposedly, like at some point he called the Pentagon just to be like, what the heck is going on? As one does. As one does, apparently. And initially, somebody from some branch of government had essentially written off the UFO sightings as like, oh, that was probably just planes refueling, like military planes refueling, which doesn't make sense. Like so many people had seen stuff over like a span of time here. Um, Like there was something like 3000 reports in like a year and a half. So this wasn't like one night, a bunch of people saw something and it was like, oh yeah. Um, But when he called the Pentagon, they were actually like, oh no, like planes would not be refueling that low. Like the reports, the estimates were that people were seeing stuff like 5,000 feet or so above the ground. And they were like, yeah, they wouldn't be refueling under like 15,000 feet. Oh, wow. So there's no way. So they were like, no. Um, so he's like, okay. Um, and then another time he called because like, you know, shit is still happening. He's still got his own sightings and he's like, what the hell? So he calls again just to be like, okay, like if that's not it, like what's going on? Supposedly the Pentagon itself confirmed that the government knows UFOs exist, but that they do not pose a threat to Wythe County. Which he has like no proof that anybody said this. Like this was a phone call. Right. But this is what he claims was said. Interesting. Um, he shortly after received a call from a man who said that he was a retired military intelligence officer who wanted to warn him. Like he told Gordon to record the call so that he could like this officer could have proof that he warned him to stop. Um, said that he had been researching UFOs himself and had seen his son die of leukemia, which he seemed convinced was done on purpose. Jesus. To silence him. Um, that's fucked up. I know. He warned Gordon that, quote, they will try to hit you if they think it's advisable for their purposes to keep you from investigating this thing and referenced them using skin contact chemicals on places like his like car door handle or his steering wheel. Hmm. Um, yeah. So essentially this dude was like, you need to stop like for the protection of your own family. Right. He later had two men in black suits arrive at his home. They said that they were reporters with a local paper. One of them sat and interviewed him for a good, like, 45 minutes, asked him all kinds of questions, while the other dude just walked around his home taking pictures, which is weird enough on its own. And again, like, a situation where, like, in the moment, he was probably like, what the fuck, but just went along with it. Right. Um, There was no, like, nothing that I read, and maybe there's more to it, but he didn't describe the men particularly, besides them being, like, the standard black suit, looked very similar. Right. Um, But after the interview, you know, they kind of were like, oh, yeah, like, we'll send you a copy when it's out never got a copy called the paper that they said they were with who of course confirmed that there was nobody sent to see him um and then he realized that the negatives for those photographs he took at the shopping center were gone oh luckily he still had like the photos but the original negatives were gone interesting so i fucking love that story wow yeah so we'll be doing an episode on that because there's a lot more with the ufo sightings but it was just interesting that he was like badgered by these men in black right with phone calls with like weird comments from the pentagon who then stole like a key piece of evidence yeah who stole some evidence and who knows what they photographed in his house like what they found like um yeah he ended up like having a heart attack shortly like a stress-induced heart attack shortly after that and like decided he had to stop doing his research because it was just like threatening himself and his family and he was just like i'm done jesus so wow yeah that's a wild story i know i know I love it. 
I can't wait to research more about that. I had never even like heard of that no, one. No, me neither. I've never heard of that. Super cool. So that was the eighties. Yep. Late eighties. So this next story <laughs> involves someone that we all know and love. We all know. Dan Aykroyd. Yep. <laughs> from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Fame. And some other um, things, I guess. So I think this was like the late nineties, early two thousands. He was doing a show about the paranormal mm. and um, it hadn't, hadn't been released yet. He was still like in the process of shooting it. So he's on set for the show and he gets a phone call from Britney Spears, of all people. Of course. Which is how you know this is late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he steps off the, uh, off the set to take this phone call and he's standing outside and he sees this like black car and a tall man standing outside of it like it's like a black ford hmm. and this tall man in a black suit standing outside of it staring directly at him so he's like oh that's weird and he kind of like looks away like while he's talking and then he like like looks back at the guy you know trying to act natural and when he looks back the guy's just gone hmm. he's just vanished so dan Aykroyd's like huh that's strange yeah finishes up his phone call goes inside and immediately finds out that his show has been canceled and that they need to evacuate the set immediately. Well, not evacuate, but they need to leave the set immediately. They're done. They're not shooting any more film. Whoa. It's gone. Shit. So I wonder, like, what, what, what paranormal things were they going to talk about on that show? Like, right. what, why do they have to shut down Dan, Dan Aykroyd's paranormal show? I like that story. Like, it's not the most in-depth Man in Black story. Right. But it's Dan Aykroyd. It's Dan Aykroyd. Like, it's a celebrity. Right. Who, yeah, like, I feel like what I've read like what he said about it like it's not like he's like yeah it was totally aliens or government or whatever but right. he's kind of like i don't know what happened but like something right happened and that's kind of like very typical of like a man in black story where it's like you have this sort of like small not interaction but you have this small like observance of someone watching and it's just like just strange enough that it catches your eye and makes you remember it mm -hmm. and then right after that or in conjunction with that some weird paranormal something happens or some event happens like his show getting canceled yeah and your and his brain draws those two connections and it's like it's just vague enough that it could just be coincidence mm -hmm. but tying in the man in black with this whole lore that has like a 50 year history before it it seems like it's how could it be a coincidence? Right. That he's talking about the paranormal. Maybe there was some topic on that show that was going to just, you know, shed a little bit too much light on something. Right. And the government shut it down or whatever weird organization the men in black are part of shut it down. Yeah. And so it's like just vague enough that if he tells that story, people are like, oh, I'm like, that's, come on. Like, yeah. That's just like Those a coincidence. But like he believes it. Right. And like people like us believe it. And like, I feel like there's enough of a, like a, a gut feeling there that like if you like it can't be a coincidence no those two things being connected right like with the particular topic matter of the show i think is particularly relevant like right. it wasn't just some random show and of course it has the downside of like being a television show it's easy to write right. it off which is like shows get canceled all the time right and there's plenty of paranormal shows yeah. and why that one in particular but yeah who knows like maybe they had something one particular paranormal topic that they were going to go into. That just was a little bit that, too close to home. Yeah. She's like, nope. Hmm. Like talking about the men in black. Right. Right. We're going to die. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Um, yeah. Which brings me to a story, a similarly like brief story. Um, in 2009, there was a man working at a Sheraton hotel mm -hmm. near Niagara Falls. He had recently seen a UFO 
and like told his coworkers about it. And I guess one day he wasn't at work, but these two men in black came into the hotel dressed identically. Like people who saw them said that they looked identical. Which Clones. has also been mentioned. Like people mm-hmm. have also mentioned them looking like twins. Right. Um, yeah. Black suits, hats, sunglasses, and carrying briefcases came to the hotel and even got caught on security footage, right. which again, we will include yep. the picture. I mean, it just looks like right. two businessmen really like from a distance with the grainy security footage, but you can tell still. that they're like, it's almost like bulky clothing. Like it mm. doesn't quite fit them well. Yeah. It's like too big for them. Right. It's not. Yeah. They definitely don't get their suits tailored. Yeah. It's a shame. <laughs> but yeah, they, they asked the employees about that man's sighting, but also just conspiracies in general. Um, and yeah, people who said them said they had no eyebrows or eyelashes. They had strange and hypnotic eyes. They had bald heads, which looked like they were potentially covered with wigs and clothes that were meant to fit in, but instead stood out. Interesting. Is how they were described, which would make total sense. Like we're wearing these suits. We're supposed to look super nice, but yeah, the suits don't quite fit. They're not quite up to date. Right. It's like, why wear like a brand new suit if it is actually from like the nineties or earlier, like not the nineties. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're wearing these, this brand new, nice looking clothing, but there's just something off about it. Right. So it's almost like so. you, you know, just enough to kind of fit in, but yeah. like, again, like you're, you're not quite, you don't quite understand like the mannerisms or like the cultural references of humans. Yeah. You look at humans and observe them and you see like, Oh, they wear suits. This yeah. is a suit. I'll wear this one. But like, you this. don't quite understand that. Like there's nuances to the suit that make it look natural. Right. I mean, these people can't handle eating Jello, so right. we can't expect them to wear nice suits. I guess. Right. They're like, do I drink this bowl of Jello? Do I eat this suit? This, this looks kind of liquidy. So, um, and then the last encounter that we have, which is not these are not the only encounters no. we just picked. Oh yeah. A few of the most interesting. Um, so this man calls himself Jack Smith. Um, I'm assuming the fact that it was referenced that he called himself that means that's not his real name. It's but totally I don't know. a pseudonym. It's like the most generic. Yeah, Jack name. Smith, like. Yeah, I was almost like, really? Like, not John Smith? You just want to go a little, <laughs> He's a little more bit unique, unique with that? Yeah. Um, so this guy claims that he had this odd encounter when he was like five years old in the woods near his house in Baltimore. He was out in these woods hanging out. He encountered a, quote, hairless child with large eyes, which he said at first alarmed him, but he assumed even like at his young age that like that kid looked odd because of like some type of tragedy, like hmm. some type of fire or something like that. That's freaky. Um, yeah. He kind of wrote it off until two more of these hairless children with large eyes appeared. And then a large craft, quote, the size of a van, which enveloped him in some sort of light. He woke up hours later in that same spot. He had bruises and cuts on his body and a scoop mark taken from his leg, which what? we'll go into this more later. But scoop marks taken from various parts of the body is like a common UFO abduction like mention wow. there's a lot of like you can find a ton of photos of like specifically these scoop marks which is so fucking weird it's freaky too like not even like a particular anything just something about like a scoop mark is weird like they're just taking these little melon ballers yeah so yeah little scoop mark huh. um he had a similar encounter when he was 16 like another ufo encounter um but he says that ever since that encounter when he was five that he's had men in black following him his whole life like everywhere he's gone Again, nothing crazy, like, no actual, from what I could tell, like, no actual encounters in the sense of, like, them talking to him. Right. Um, but just, like, he said he's traveled all over, he's lived in a bunch of different places, he's been in different countries, and he has seen these men in black everywhere. 
That's weird. Um, one particular encounter was he was in New Orleans in 2014, which is pretty recent. Right. He was with a friend, um, somebody he considered to be trustworthy, who also saw them. They were waiting for a uh, streetcar in New Orleans. These dudes were also kind of there, like, waiting. Like, there were other people. They These guys seemed like they were waiting for a streetcar as well. Um, they, quote, looked like identical twins, matching black suits with white shirts, skinny black ties, sunglasses. Um, the friend of his described them as pale, stiff, with oblong faces and a thin line for a mouth. That's weird. Yeah, and they were just kind of, like, hanging around, like, but watching this dude and his friend. Um, he got a video with his cell phone, but he said he had a lot of trouble uploading the file. Like, there kept being error messages, but he managed to get a couple, like, screenshots of the video. And, yeah, again, they look exactly like all the pictures. Like, oddly fitting suits, awkward-looking dudes. Um, I think it was mentioned in particular that they seemed, like, the friend of his assumed that they were dressed for, like, some type of performance because it was so hot that day, hmm. as tends to be the case in New Orleans. Right. Um, that it just seemed odd that they were in, like, these heavy suits. Interesting. Yeah, and so they watched them at this spot waiting for the streetcar for, like, 20-plus minutes. But when the streetcar arrived and Jack and his friend got on, they watched the two men walk across the street and get into a black car that had been there, and they left. Weird. Yeah. So. Like, they're observing and watching. Right. They were just waiting. That UFO researcher in the 50s, where he has sort of, like, a, a lifelong, like micro encounters yeah. with these men in black who were just like it's almost like like they're just keeping tabs on them for the rest of their life exactly and this this guy in particular like had a quote that was saying like how violated he felt by the whole thing because he was like i didn't ask to have these encounter like these ufo encounters right like these things happened to me and yet now these people are following me around watching me right you're just trying to live yeah just trying to live so he's <clears> just like dude so yeah, yeah. crazy ass shit so of course there are people who don't believe in this Right. Probably a lot more people than do. Right. Um, UFOlogist and author Jerome Clark said that reports of men in black represent, quote, experiences that don't seem to have occurred in the world of consensus reality. So there's that. Um, a lot of people think that the sightings of men in black kind of go hand in hand with the UFO community in the 50s and the 60s, kind of adopting this paranoia right. as far as thinking that, like, these sightings are going to have some repercussions as far as government trying to silence them. Um, and like this organized intimidation as a result of them, like discovering the truth. Right. So, but again, there were sightings of men in black before this kind of paranoia set in. So it's right. kind of like, which came first, the right. men in black or the paranoia? Um, hmm. and then there is some people kind of try to debunk the whole men in black thing by the fact that this Gray Barker, again, ufologist yeah. author, he had a friend, John C. Sherwood, who came out, I think it was in... I thought I read it was in 1998, like, after Men in Black came out. Right. And this kind of, like, blew up. He came forward and said that in the late 60s, when he was 18, he cooperated with Gray Barker when he was urged to help create a hoax, which Barker subsequently published in one of his books, about what Barker called, quote, black men, uh, three mysterious UFO inhabitants who silenced Sherwood's pseudonymous? Pseudonymous? Pseudonymous. Yes. That's not it. Sure. Uh, identity, Dr. Richard H. Pratt, which again, this was after there had been sightings. This wasn't like the kickoff. If this was in the late sixties, there had already been multiple sightings hmm. by people reported before that. So yeah. the fact that there was potentially one hoax in the midst of all of this, like, isn't right. saying much. Um, so yeah. So what's your, what's your theory? Okay. 
Who do you think that they are? So, as with most of these things, I feel like the sheer number of encounters with men in black means that people are seeing something. Something. They're not hallucinating it. They're not just, like, seeing some random person wearing a black suit on the street and assuming that that person's watching them. Mm -hmm. There's very specific behaviors that show that it's, like, they're interacting with something. So, my particular theory that doesn't necessarily explain a lot of, like, the supernatural qualities of them um, is that... Or maybe it does, actually. So, imagine you have a government organization that is fully aware of not necessarily just aliens, but just supernatural things in general. They're aware of, like, all of the weird shit that goes on in this world. Mm. So, this shadowy government organization wants to keep tabs on people that are, like, reporting about it, talking about it, researching it. So... They want to keep tabs on these people. Or maybe they're not even necessarily keeping tabs. Maybe they're just trying to sort of interact with these people in some way. So they send operatives out. You know, they shave their eyebrows. They dress in these weird suits. They purposefully play up all the weird shit. They, like, Mm. pretend not to know how to eat food. They pretend not to know how to eat jello. So that when you tell your friends, like, dude... This, like, I had this really weird interaction with this person who, like, didn't know how to eat jello. And, like, he did, I sw- he didn't have eyebrows, like, I swear. And, like, he, like, was wearing this, like, like really big suit. And, like, he was asking me all these questions. You're going to be like, okay, dude. Yeah, like, sure. we get it. You are you believe in conspiracy theories. You believe in aliens. You're like, no, dude. Like, I really had this interaction with this person. <laughs> and so by playing up the weird shit, you're making these people discredit themselves. Right. By telling all of these like weird non-connected to aliens part of it where Mm. you're like telling all these weird details and that just undermines your credibility while you're telling the story to your friends or whoever. Yeah. So maybe this is done as a way of self-discrediting like UFO researchers and stuff or they're legitimately trying to keep tabs and talk to these people and figure out how much they know and they're playing up the weirdness so that when they try to talk about it later Nobody believes them, basically. It's the idea of like, oh, nobody's going to believe you now because of all these like weird things I've done that are unconnected to me asking about UFOs. Right. And that's kind of where I've always fallen down on this topic is that like, I feel like there's a human aspect to them. Mm. And that was sort of my, my belief before I did a lot of this research but in looking into like a lot of the paranormal like aspects of it I almost feel like I don't know like that that theory is not as satisfying now as it was before like I thought it was almost just like a disinformation campaign by the government yeah but now that I look into like a lot of like the sort of paranormal aspects of it I wonder if it's some kind of I don't know like if not, wherever aliens come from, because there's, you know, I'm not necessarily convinced that they're from a different planet. They could be from a different dimension or realm of existence. Mm. So wherever aliens come from, these men in black come from. Or maybe they're from the future. Right. Maybe they're time-traveling humans that yeah. have just come from the future and they don't have any hair because hair can't travel through time or because they've had to shave themselves to go through time or something. Yeah. Some bizarre thing. Right. Like, again, it's... So much stuff doesn't, like, nothing totally adds up. Right. Which is the most frustrating thing. Right. And now we're going to be followed, too. Yep. Fuck. Let's keep an eye out. I literally was just, like, racking my brain 
a little while ago, like trying to think like, if I had any weird people that seem like they follow, I always think like when I hear stories about people being followed, not even by men in black, but just like in general, like somebody being stalked, I always think that like, and Nate makes fun of me all the time about me not being observant enough to notice. Right. Like I hear these stories and people are like, oh yeah, like I noticed the same car. And like, I'm like, how the fuck did you notice it was the same car? Like, unless it's like a bizarre looking car right. or has like a weird, um, like vanity plate. Right. Like, how would you possibly, like, I don't pay attention to any cars. And Nate, too, like, he can just, like, tell what kind of car a car is, like, from a distance. I don't know what type of car any car is. Really, like, I'm like, oh, it's like an SUV. Like, oh, it's a, like, he'll ask me all the time, like, oh, what kind of car was whoever driving? Or, like, what are we looking for or whatever? And I'm like, I don't know. It was, like, red and, like, small. And he's like, well, like, what? Was it, like, a, you know, like, hatchback? And I'm like, what? Like, I don't pay attention to that stuff. So I'm like, somebody could be following me right all now. the time. Yeah, all the time. Including, like, a person, like, just showing up at different places, unless they were, like, really memorable looking, or did something weird, or were, like, staring me down, I don't think I would notice. Like, if somebody was just, wherever I went and, like, ran errands, they were, like, also there at a distance, I don't think I would know. So it kind of freaks me out. I feel like I'd notice somebody in a suit. Like, that's a little bizarre. Like, living in Maine. Yeah. Unless you're, like, downtown, and you're near, like, a lot of the banks and stuff. Yeah. Like, it would be weird if I just kept seeing somebody in, like, a nice suit, like, at Hannaford or something. Right. Well, especially, like, a, so. an, an ill-fitting suit and, a, like, a hat. Yeah. Like, a... like, I think I'd notice that. But if they somehow get more creative right. and they aren't in black suits anymore, it's just some, like, main-looking dude. Yeah. I wouldn't flannel notice. Flannel shirt. Yeah. Flannel shirt guy. Beard. I don't, like, especially, I go to, like, the, part of the grocery store. Yeah. I'm usually there, like, wanting to interact with as few people as possible. Right. Like, I don't want to look at you. Right. I want to, like, pick out my veggies and, like, get my shit. I don't want anybody in the same aisle as me. Right. I will, like, avoid aisles sometimes if there's, like, somebody right in the middle of it. I'm just like, yep. no, I like, don't want to, like... I'll come back. Yeah, I'll come back to that later. I've, like, forgotten stuff because I'm, like, about to go get it. And then I'm like, oh, there's, like, a person I'm going to have to, like, saddle up to because they're looking at the same shit. And I'm just like, no. Nope. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to go get some yogurt and come back. And then I forget. And then I get home and I'm like, motherfucker, like, you didn't get cereal because you didn't want to stand next to that lady. Meanwhile, you've been followed by, like, 15 different <laughs> yeah. men in black. Yeah. So I'm like, shit. I mean, maybe we're not digging deep enough into this stuff. Maybe we don't have, like, the reach yet. Right. They're like, oh, they only get, like, 100 downloads per episode. Yeah. They're not really hitting anybody yet. But, like, when we, our numbers get bigger. Right. We're going to get some men in black. It's going to be terrible. Yeah. Because, like, they're going to... Freaks me out. Yeah, they're going to kill our family members. Yeah. Oh. Because that's the kind of shit that they can do. Although, in all of the men in black stories, I didn't hear about any deaths. Mm. Well, vague allusions to Just that to one deaths. mention yeah. of, like, he that military much. officer. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah, so Barney Hill potentially died because he knew too much. Right. And then that military officer that called um, the news director said oh, yeah. that like his he watched his son die of leukemia. Interesting. Which, again, can't be proven, but right. he was convinced that that was done on purpose to silence him. Freaky. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe it does seem like it's a lot of people like news director, military personnel, like people who have more access to the information right. or have more of a reach but again, like those two people just living in Jersey City, like just researching shit, right. are getting followed. Nothing bad happened to them. The dude disappeared after he was photographed, but still, like somebody took enough of an interest to be like, what the fuck are you up to? Right. So I feel like they would have found me by now, but again, maybe they have. Maybe they just don't have. know it. Shit. They're listening right now. It's kind of scary, actually. Yeah. It really is. Um, so yeah, that's Men in Black. Men in Black. It was a good episode. Yeah, I think I think we covered it all. 
Yeah. This is a good foundational episode because as we talk about more and more topics, the men in black are going to factor in as just sort of like supporting characters and larger mysteries. Exactly. Like, again, some of these specific UFO sightings will be talked about later, and then you guys will already know what yeah. the men in black are, who they are, what they're like, some of their weirdo qualities. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Men in black. I like it. It's a good, like, accompanying thing with, like, there's already this weird shit going on and then, like, this added layer. Right. Of, and then the men in black show and up. And then the men in black show up. Make it even weirder. So, yeah. That's it. Episode eight. Unknowable. Unknowable. Men in black. So, check us out. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. At Unknowable Podcast. Obviously, you can find us pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you're listening to us right now. Yeah, you're listening right now. So... Yep, we're going to have... I'm working on the show notes. We've got two episodes up so far, the first two, but I'm going to be slowly getting up notes for everything else, which will mostly just include pictures that we talk about. Right. So check that out on our website, unknowablepodcast.com. Nice. And otherwise, just follow us, review us, rate us. Subscribe. Subscribe, tell your friends, post about us on Instagram, do whatever. Add us. Add us. Be friends. Talk to us. Tell us what you want to hear about. Tell us about your encounters with Men in Black. Please. Please. Don't go into too much detail, though. Yeah. Because I'm scared. Watch you. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Episode eight. Unknowable. 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 All right. Love you.